This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about mint. Mint. Yes, finally, an Annie can't eat stuff. Ah, oh, there's, there's been at least, well, there's been a couple that you don't like. Right. I can't, tea, tea is another one. Sure. Um, and uh, I do love mint and I'm determined to do, we discussed off air that p- potentially I can have certain types of uh, like mint candies Sure, that, that are just made with like a menthol oil rather sure. than an actual like peppermint oil. Like like we need to we need to figure out which chemical in mint yes. is the one that disagrees with you. There is a York peppermint patty at my desk. <laughs> and I'm gonna do it at the end of the work day. So Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's wise. That's a good plan. Thank you. Uh, and it's not severe. Like I just get like dry mouth and tingling and nausea, cramp stomach. I mean, it's not fun. No, it's not. No. But toothpaste, like, it took me years to realize, like, why do I feel so sick after I brush my teeth? (laughs) Yeah, it was the mint. It was the mint. Well, um, I can eat it, and it's delicious. I'm sorry. No, I'm so happy. (laughs) I'm so happy this is finally happening. (sighs) I hope you enjoy it, Lauren. It's refreshing. Just like mint. There you go. Which brings us to our question. Mint. What is it? Well, uh, mint is a genus of herbs, sometimes called mentha, and also, like, 
even higher up in the taxonomic system, uh, it's a family of herbs called Lamiensiae, which includes everything from basil to thyme to rosemary and lemon balm. But today we're talking about the genus Mentha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mints tend to be perennial, meaning that although they will die back during freezing winters, once you plant them, the roots will take hold. Yeah. <laughs> grasp hold, grab, violently hold, and uh, will come back year after year. In some cases, like peppermint, they are so vigorous partially because their root systems are the only way that they can reproduce. Like peppermint is a wild hybrid of spearmint and watermint that's sterile. It does not produce seeds. Yeah. Yeah, Um, which means that genetically, every peppermint plant is nearly identical to the very first peppermint plant ever identified. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, like bananas, they're clones. Exactly. Exactly. Mint stems are square in a cross-section, which just always delights me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. I just really like it. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, uh, the leaves and stems can be anywhere from green to grayish to purplish. The flowers anywhere from white to purple. And there are a lot of types of mint. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we chose this topic, I was I knew it was going to be a big one, but I was kind of naive about, like, <laughs> it'll be simple. No, there's a lot of types of mint. Um, peppermint, spearmint. Um, so <laughs> there are 13 to 18 species in the mint family. Are That's the general consensus because I've found different things. Oh, yeah. I thought that would be, like— No, no, there never really is, like, a single number. It's like, well, it's, you know, squidgy. It's Wibbly very wobbly. squidgy because at some places it was it seemed very definite it was twenty five. Oh and no! Then other places like no thirteen. Anyway, I, I think I think it's I, I saw the numbers thirteen to eighteen in multiple places. Okay, <laughs> multiple places said thirteen to eighteen, so that's what we're saying. And they grow all over. And yeah, anyone who has tried to grow mint or not tried to grow mint, it grows. It, it grows whether you want it to or not. Basically, yep. Uh, different types of mint are native to Eurasia, Australia, North America, and Africa. And nowadays, you can find different types of mint growing all over in temperate climates. Even though there are probably 13 to 18 species in the mint uh, genus, there are over 2,000 varietals within those species. They they interbreed really easily. Um, Pennyroyal, by the way, is one of those species. And I was today old when I learned that. I always I'd seen the word pennyroyal all over the place, and I was like, "Oh, that must be some quaint British thing that I'll never understand." It's the British version of Pennywise the clown. Oh no! Why would you say that? <laughs> it, I mean, it had to be said, Lauren. It's not. It's not like a royal. This, this isn't. This isn't Pulp Fiction, okay? Like we didn't need a British version of Pennywise. I kind of think we do now. Like, pip, pip! I'm going to eat your face. Like what? No. <laughs> That's, I mean, we, we've got Britain down to a pat because that's what it is. Pip, pip, cheerio. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Yeah. Um, some some things that are called mint, though, just to murk up the waters a little bit more, um, are, are from totally different genuses, like, for example, Brazilian bush mint. Um, it's a close cousin, but yeah, taxonomy is hilarious is what it comes down to. Yep. Very, very hilarious. And another thing that makes this interesting is that mint itself is kind of a category. And when people say mint, they usually mean spearmint because it's like the flavor in most toothpaste is spearmint. I think I, I think it could be I, I feel like most people think of peppermint when they think of mint because spearmint doesn't actually contain menthol, which is one of right. the I mean it contains a couple related uh compounds, but Yeah, I think it's in the, the research realm of mint. That's what I read is that, yeah, generally we mean spearmint. And huh. I think it's the mint flavoring in a lot of 
Okay. It's like added in. It's strange because there's synthetic <laughs> menthol and then mint flavoring. Sure. And, well, anyway, it's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's a category of flavors. Yes. It is. And um it tastes cold because uh because some of the compounds in mint, perhaps primarily menthol, interact with the same nerve endings in your mouth that detect physical cold. It's triggering the exact same sensation in your brain. That's pretty cool. It's sort of like capsaicin triggers heat. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um and there are a lot of volatile oils in mint, uh, different ones in different concentrations in different types of mint. Uh, these these are oils that we tend to experience as flavors because they interact with some of the nerve endings in our mouth and nose. Another common one is limonene, uh, which is citrusy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of these oils are produced by, oh, this is so cool, these, these wee glands that are all over mint's skin um, on, on the leaves and stems and flowers. And they're basically a defense system against bugs, both insects and, and microbe bugs. Yeah. Um, sort, sort of like big chemical warfare water balloons just all over the plant at a microscopic level. You know, if something tiny enough disturbs these glands, they'll burst with all of these oils all over the unfortunate creature. Um, and some of these oils are even toxic to humans in large enough amounts. But, yeah, um, as with other plant defense systems like suckers, humans decided we liked that. <laughs> Yeah, we don't care. So there. <laughs> um, and these these glands are protected from just blowing off of the skin of mint by tiny little spikes, which is why mint leaves feel a little bit fuzzy. Man, listeners, you are missing a lot of excellent hand gestures, <laughs> I got to say. I'm extra gestury today. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but okay. So, um, so, so those glands being all over the surface of mint is why you can just like gently brush against a mint plant and come away with that scent on your hand. Um, it's also why you should be gentle with mint when you're using it in cocktails or cooking. Uh, most of that desirable flavor is right there on the surface. The actual juice of the mint leaf and stem is a little bit bitter and kind of unpleasant. So, for example, like if you're making a mojito. You don't want to muddle the mint hard enough to juice it. You just want to bruise the skin and, and flatten those little spikes, letting those balloons release their oils. Mmm, sounds good. <laughs> oh, I experienced the sadness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe I'll try them out. No, no, yeah. no, don't do that. No. Uh, but what about the nutrition of mint? Mint is another one of those herbs that can bring a lot of flavor to dishes without adding a lot of calories. Right. And it has so many fascinating medicinal, potentially medicinal properties. And throughout history, it has been believed to possess medicinal qualities. Oh, yeah. By essentially everyone who has ever interacted with it because of because of those cooling properties that I mentioned. Um, you know, it features in uh, Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese and Western humoric uh, medicines. People once thought it could induce perspiration and menstruation. One of the reasons uh, why mint got this rep of healthy um, on a level that made it stand out from other fragrant herbs is because of that cooling sensation of menthol. And I just, I hadn't considered it until I really considered it. But like the (laughs) phrase breath mints, for someone like me, I can't, I don't get mint flavor, but I still call it a breath breath mint. mint. Yeah. It's Solidified its position. <laughs> a cinnamon breath mint that contains no mint. Exactly. Sure. Huh. Cinnamon. <laughs> I tried that for a while and still, still no. Still no. Still no. Uh, 
Mint can also act as a painkiller and a pest repellent. It can reduce itching from insect bites, and it's used in some decongestions as well as medications that treat sunburn. Yeah, those, those volatile oils that I mentioned a minute ago can have other effects on our bodies as well as producing flavor. Some products that use mint oils are using it in like a folk medicine kind of application, and some do use it for that flavor. For example, neither mint nor menthol have been confirmed to actually work as decongestants in your sinus tract. But they do clinically make people feel like they're breathing easier. Um, And they might be relieving a little bit of the pain associated with sinus inflammation because there is definitely research confirming some of mint's uses. Uh, Topically, on the skin for itching, uh, not just insect bites, all kinds of itchy problems, for treatment of gastrointestinal issues like irritable bowel syndrome, um, taken in these specially prepared pills uh, that that pass through the stomach undigested, peppermint oil does seem to have a relaxing effect on smooth muscle tissue, which is the kind that your your guts are made of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as a pain reliever. Oh, this one is cool. Okay, so... Uh, we we already talked about how compounds in mint can can interact with those same nerve endings that detect cold. Well, you have a variety of nerve endings throughout your body that can do that too. One such receptor found in a small number of nerve cells in your skin does this interesting thing when it detects cold. It inhibits pain signals from being sent from that area to the brain. And this is rad because it might be able to be used topically uh, safely to treat neuropathic pain. That, that's pain caused by damage to your nerves themselves or by something going wrong in your, in your pain signaling system. These types of pain tend to be chronic, and it's what opioids are prescribed for. Think like rheumatic diseases, tension headaches, stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, more clinical research does need to be done, but the preliminary research is pretty solid. That's awesome. Yeah. I should say here that uh, as with any potential remedy, consult a doctor before you go putting medicinal doses of anything in or on your body. Yes. Uh, especially take care if you're pregnant or nursing. Don't don't rub mint oil on a baby. No, we are – do not get your medical advice from a food podcast, oh please. Oh, my goodness. Never do that. No. no. <laughs> never take our advice about anything to do with babies, especially – Probably, yeah. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Um, When I was looking at mint sensitivities and allergies to get to the bottom of whatever is the deal with me and mint, I found several studies that suggest an allergic reaction to mint can lead to asthma. Hmm. Also, the culprit behind my allergy or whatever it is could be the same thing that it can relate to aspirin and tea, which I also... Oh, really? um, Hmm. I don't know if it's allergic, but I got a problem with both of those things. Yeah. Well, more research to be done. More research. And speaking of more research, we have some mint numbers. We do. Uh, Peppermint and spearmint are the most commercially grown varieties of mint. According to something I read, the global demand for menthol is 20,000 metric tons. But only 13,000 metric tons is sourced from plants. Ah. Yeah. Huh. The USDA classifies spearmint as an invasive species in Tennessee and other parts of the South. Grow your mint in pots, (laughs) y'all. Lauren has a very serious look on her face. I'm very serious about it. <laughs> I've heard tell of of mint. I think from you. Um, so I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about the whole thing, to be honest. Um, and you can find mint in everything, all kinds of things: gum, toothpaste, fragrances uh, for candles, liquors, ice cream, teas, hot chocolates, cocktails, candies, jellies, medicine, cough drops. 
chapsticks in savory dishes, particularly with lamb. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, uh, English and or Irish thing, yeah. Yeah. There's a world of mint out there. There is. There is. It's really popular around Christmas time here in the U.S., and I would wager probably other, other places as well, hmm. uh, particularly peppermint. Candy canes are the number one non-chocolate-selling candy the month of December in the U.S. And, yes, I want to do an episode on candy canes so badly now <laughs> because they have just a plethora of fun myths around them. I I took time that I should have been spending researching other things, <laughs> looking at candy canes. That episode is coming later, but not today. Yeah, yeah. Rab- rabbit holes are real, y'all. They are. We should do – remember when we did gingerbread in the middle of summer? Yeah. We should do candy canes. Do an annual, like, middle of summer Christmas food episode. Yes. I like it. I like that tradition. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we've got some history for you, uh, but first we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. (laughs) Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free and we're back thank you sponsor yes thank you 
So the mintha genus most likely first originated in the Mediterranean and Europe and or Asia and Africa, depending on the type, um, all the way back to at least 300 BCE. Mint was seen as a symbol of hospitality. Folks would strew them at banquets to welcome guests uh, and also, in general, to keep mice away, either in the home or where grain was stored. And also, they would wear them <laughs> as crowns. Like, that oh. sounds, uh, you know, That's I like lovely. that. I like that. <laughs> According to Greek mythology, Hades loved a nymph named Mintha, so a jealous Persephone his wife, uh, transformed Mintha into a plant. But Hades, hoping to make things a little more bearable for her life as a plant, <laughs> gave her a sweet fragrance, hoping Aww. folks would, have, would appreciate her sweetness. Um, <laughs> in another version I found, Persephone stomped on Mintha until she was dust, and Hades brought her back to life as the fragrant mint plant. And I went on a whole green with envy rabbit hole after reading that, but I, uh, it, it turns out it's our old pal Shakespeare, probably. Oh, that guy. That guy. <laughs> there are multiple, multiple versions of that myth. Oh, but sure. those are the two we're That's sticking with. The basics. Yes. And this is where the word mint probably derives from, uh, that name, which itself probably came from a dead pre-Greek language. Uh, yeah, which in which it was the name for the plant. Like the, the mintha myth is an origin story for this plant that was already familiar to everybody. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speak, speaking of flat circles, um, interestingly, the word mint, meaning like a place that prints or stamps money, is from a different Latin root, uh, monada, meaning money. Makes sense. I, I guess. I guess. It's also, if you, if you type in mint, the first couple of results I found were for the U.S. mint. Other oh, sure. types of money mint place. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, the ancient Greeks were fond of mint, and they used it in their funerals, in their homes as a freshener, and as a remedy for indigestion. Mint did get an association with death as well, and that's one of the reasons it was used at funerals, perhaps because of this myth. Oh, with Persephone. Oh, Hades sure. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it was used to cover the smell of the dead. Ancient Egyptians might have used mint as a currency because it was so prized for its perceived cleansing abilities. Mints were described as a tithing herb in the Bible. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. The Pharisees were like, give us money or mint, whichever. It's fine. Money or mint. Yeah. And then money, mints. Ugh. I know. It's all there. <laughs> <laughs> Pliny the Elder wrote about mint in first century CE, advising students to wrap mint around their heads to delight the soul for the good of the mind and more efficient learning. Basically, clear your mind and you'll concentrate better. Okay. Yeah. Aristotle also wrote about mint, but he warned soldiers should avoid it before battle because it might diminish their willingness to fight. Like the concept was like they might chill out so much or they, they might yeah. just be so happy that they're smelling this lovely mint that they're just like, no. Yeah. What, what's this all for anyway? <laughs> Why can't we just be friends? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the first mention in Chinese literature may be from 470 CE in, oh, Annie, would you help me with this one? Lei Gong Pao Zhi Lun. Which is sometimes translated as Master Lei's, Master Lei's uh, treatise on the preparation of medicines uh, or some variant thereof. Yeah. So they... Certainly back towards that time and probably for a long time before they already had the medicinal uses yes. in there. Yes. Going on. Mm-hmm. 
Peppermint has been distilled into oil in Japan for centuries as well. Some of the first mouthwashes out of medieval Europe were a mixture of mint leaves and vinegar. Huh. Oh. Or, <laughs> or more simply, folks would just chew on the mint leaves. Mint-infused steam vapor was used in sick rooms to add fragrances to a bath as sort of a nerve stimulant to give relief to dry hands, to treat dog bites, all kinds of things. Herbalist John Gerard wrote that spearmint rejoiceth the heart of man. Oh, I mean, it, I mean, not your heart, maybe. <laughs> or not your stomach. Yeah, my heart is briefly happy. <laughs> There's like a, a two-minute window where I'm like, oh, and then, oh. <laughs> Commercial mint production got underway in Britain in the 1750s. Mint made its way across the Atlantic with the first pilgrims. And, okay, so... When you think of mint, or at least when I think of mint, one of the first things I think of is dental hygiene. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if we kind of go down that path, Altoids got their start in the 1870s, a product of London confectionery Smith & Company, marketed as a stomach soother rather than a breath freshener. The high dose of peppermint extract made them far more concentrated than the leaves themselves. By this point, we see the earliest analyses of menthol, like scientific, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, like like other lozenges of the time, this was definitely like an entrance into being actual candy. Like, there's layers. There's layers. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, dentist Washington Sheffield invented toothpaste, a mixture of baking soda and hydrogen peroxide. Mint, along with other flavors, were added into that to mask the flavor, because as you can imagine... Baking soda and hydrogen peroxide. Not the most delicious on their own. No, definitely not. And then we get Listerine. Listerine comes onto the scene in 1879. A combo of eucalyptol, which is alcohol infused with eucalyptus, thymol, and menthol. Dentists began using it on their patients, and in 1914, Listerine convinced the public at large that they had bad breath and they needed Listerine to solve it. It was probably true, the first part anyway. The second part, yeah. That's fair, that's fair. (laughs) The association of the cooling of the menthol and breath freshening was really starting to solidify at this point. As mint was becoming more popular, in the U.S., more and more states started to grow it, but the two front runners were New York and Michigan. Huge fields of peppermint and spearmint turned into oils and extracts after being distilled into vats. And to reiterate, these operations were huge. Um, and in the early 20th century, Michigan accounted for 90% of the global mint flavoring market. Wow. 90%. Huh. But then in the 1920s, A blight of fungus wiped out a lot of the mint crop. Mint production shifted over to the northwest, uh, with growers attempting to breed a blight-resistant crop. Up until the 1990s, Washington State and Oregon churned out the bulk of the world's mint flavoring, but with the advent of cheaper synthetic flavoring and cheaper extracts and oils from places like China and India, a lot of the major companies have moved away from U.S. mint producers. And speaking of China and India, they both began cultivating mint in the 1960s commercially. And if we step back a bit further to post-World War II, Brazil got in on the mint game with other South American countries following soon after Brazil. 
And speaking of synthetic menthol, <laughs> the company Harman and Reimer GmbH, the same company that was uh, the first to commercialize uh, synthetic vanilla, ah, uh-huh. figured out synthetic menthol in 1976, or the first iteration of it. The Takasago International Corporation out of Japan perfected the process of synthetic menthol in 2001. I do think recently there have been even more perfections of it. You can't perfect a perfection, can you? You you can perfect a process of creating something (laughs) good. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean. (laughs) And I wanted to mention this as well. Because in classic, in classic Saber style, we missed this whole thing. But I was interested. The McDonald's Shamrock Shake. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Is is that mint flavored? Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. okay. Um, it debuted in 1970. And <laughs> after it went off the menu for a minute in the 90s, it came back in 2000s due to customer demand. And in 2012, it became nationally available in the U.S. But outside of that is kind of rare. A few places in Canada and Ireland have them. So I guess, yeah. Uh, Shamrock Shake. What is it? (laughs) Well, um, it is a super neon green milkshake. But yeah, no one's entirely sure what the flavor is. I, from my childhood, like I, to be fair, I have not had these in a, one of these in a very long time, but I thought it was just a, a vanilla milkshake that was just green. That makes sense and possibly true. Okay, so some sources say it began as a lemon-lime sherbet type thing. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then evolved into plain vanilla dyed green in 1973. And then in 1983 evolved again to mint. Huh. If you look up the nutritional info, you'll find that it's vanilla flavored with Shamrock syrup. (laughs) (laughs) And that flavor comes from natural flavor, parentheses, plant source, which we would assume is mint. Well, I mean, plant source can be anything. Exactly. I mean, it could be vanilla as well. I mean, it could, I mean, it could be a lot of stuff. It could be licorice. Oh, my goodness. We need somebody to get to the bottom of this. It seems the general consensus seems to be that there is mint involved somehow now. Okay. But it is mostly vanilla. Like it's a light. It's a light mint. Mint flavor. <laughs> and huh. nowadays there's multiple flavors like chocolate, shamrock shake, um, and a specially designed straw for oh. this shake. Okay. <laughs> yes. And the shamrock shake is credited with helping in part to create the Ronald McDonald House Charities. You can see our... We don't really talk about specifically this, but you can see our McDonald's episode for more about that whole thing. Absolutely. Whatever the flavor, 60 million shamrock shakes have been sold since their inception, and it's an excellent study in artificial scarcity. Um, Also, there is a shamrock tracker for finding one in the (laughs) off-season. Track them down to different (laughs) states. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because, right, because the the off-season being, like, not around St. Patrick's Day because— right. Because we in America have a very specific concept of what St. Patrick's Day is about. And it's green. And it's green. Yeah. And there's shamrocks involved. Yep. Hence the shamrock shake. Yeah. There's a whole story about how New York actually didn't have shamrock shakes until 2012. And then when they got them, I think it's 2012, but recently-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they got them, Jimmy Fallon 
went to a McDonald's and bought like a hundred of them <laughs> for his the, for the audience. Yes, and people were mad because they sold out of the Shamrock Shake. Oh, because of Jimmy Fallon. It was a kerfuffle. <laughs> it was a kerfuffle. <laughs> um, and to end this whole Shamrock Shake <laughs> side that we've gone, um, weird mascot of the episode. We present. McDonald Land's Uncle O'Grimacy. Oh, no. The green Irish uncle of Grimace. A relic of the 1970s and 80s. He had merch and an Irish accent. Oh, I'm sure that that was um, strictly authentic accent Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, uh, now I know what I'm Googling after we finish this book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's worth it. It's weird. <laughs> It's so weird. <laughs> is it as horrifying as the grimaces, but like just slightly more racist? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that's great. <laughs> There's like a weird origin story too, where he drinks the shamrock shake. I think it was before they solidified grimacy. Oh, grimacy. Grimace <laughs> drinks the shamrock shake, and he turn. He like slowly spotchily turns green, and it's really creepy. Oh, all right. But I highly recommend looking it up. <sighs> Eep. Yes. Yes. Will will do. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I guess that wraps up our, our episode on mint. I think that there's a lot of little pathways. I, I definitely want to do a whole other episode, yeah, on candy canes and um, some, oh, of these, some, some of these other mint candies, which, whole oh, there's a lot there. Yes. Um, but, yeah, in the meanwhile, we've got a little bit more from you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener Mail. I always feel like Mint commercials have that like... There's a lot of mouth noises in yeah. the commercials. I apologize for that, everybody, but I had to get my point across <laughs> so that you'd understand the listener mail. Very important, very yes, important. Yes, yes. Dan wrote, we have a family tradition on birthdays where we always get a big pretzel for the family gathering. Yes. There is a local shop that makes all sorts of pretzels, ranging from pretzel burgers and hot dogs to your normal Ooh. pretzel twist. They also make specialized shapes. We usually order a pretzel in the shape of whatever the theme is for our kids' birthdays. We've done Elmo, Peppa Pig, Darth Vader, and a whole bunch more. This year, my son is having a dinosaur pretzel. I have included a pic just to show you how cool they are. And yes, it is cool. It is so cool. Um, we're we're going to follow up with Dan and see if we can post this on social because it is it like— Y'all, like, I thought that Jurassic Park did a pretty good job of illustrating dinosaurs, but I was wrong. This is the ult- This is what dinosaurs looked like. Yes, they need to include this in textbooks. <laughs> it's beautiful. They do. It's glorious. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Irina wrote, The region I'm from in West Germany, close to the Luxembourg and Belgium border, has its own pretzel-related custom I wanted to share with you. Each November 11th, St. Martin's Day is celebrated throughout Germany. Children will make colorful paper lanterns and walk in a procession across town singing songs. At the end of the procession, each kid will get a little reward in the form of a big, soft sugar pretzel called a Martin's pretzel. Growing up, I loved these pretzels so much, I would trade my cousins my toys for a bite out of their pretzels. Unlike a normal soft pretzel, the dough is enriched with butter, milk, and or quark, uh, baked until just golden brown without the lye bath, and then glazed with a butter-milk mix and covered in sugar. The pretzels of my childhood were easily as big as my head and the fluffiest thing I've ever eaten. Now I live in the UK, and every year around November, the craving for a Martin's pretzel returns with no way of getting a quick fix. Luckily for me, my grandma has recently discovered an old recipe in her cookbooks, so come November, I will give it a try. That sounds so good. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Let us let us know how it turns out. Send us, send us pictures. Yes, yes. She did send some from... Uh, past years, and they look amazing. Yeah. They look delicious and soft and fluffy. I yeah. want one. Yeah. And I want one the size of my head. Now, I thought I was done with my pretzel cravings, but... Uh, they continue. They do forever. They. Forever. 
Anyway, <laughs> if you would like to email us like these two wonderful listeners do, thank you for emailing. Mm-hmm. You can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartMedia and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Andrew Howard and Dylan Fagan. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.